0: Hey, murder lovers. My name is Mackenzie. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger (laughs) Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back.
1: Sorry. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You always get the giggles right at the beginning. I always get the giggles. It's my defense mechanism. Do you feel like you need to defend yourself? No. Well, I mean, the, all, this uh, this next case, trick warning. It's got all the murder things. So I was like, "Is it me? No, I no, do no, something? no." I'm just like, I'm anxious. I'm I'm excited to tell you guys about the case. Um, so welcome back. Thank you. If you're new, while wow, you're starting late, but thank you.
0: We <laughs> have like a year and a half worth of content yeah. to catch
1: up on. Um, But if you just found us, we're going to try and get straight to the case, and then we'll add some stuff on the back end. So this is the case of Joachim Dressler.
0: So not Joachim.
1: You know, it might be. How's it spelled? J-O-A-C-H-I-M. Joachim. Joachim.
0: I would go with Joaquin in my brain, but Joaquin. I might be wrong. You know,
1: that's what I was thinking that all that almost was my brother's name instead, but but because um, it's my great grandpa's name, but it's it's not a Q, yeah, right, or an N like Joaquin Phoenix. So it's it's J O A C H I M. So Joachim or Joaquim? Joaquim. No, I'm I'm assuming it's okay. Joachim. He also goes by Joe, so we might We're just call him Joe.
0: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Love that.
1: Um, so this is a case that comes to us from Wisconsin. I don't know if Wisconsin's okay because there's so Men much. None of that's the happened. states are okay. <laughs> this is back from the 90s, but uh back in the 90s, Wisconsin was like, you know, crazy times for people to be alive, because there was a lot of dead ones popping up everywhere. So, Wisconsin in the 90s, if you are a true crime buff, is also Dahmer time. So, and those worlds will collide at one point. Oh, interesting. Um, I will tell you about how those come together. Um, so, this is the case of Joachim Dressler. He had a wife and two kids. He lived in the rural county of Racine in Wisconsin. And... Like I said, this takes place in the 90s, but 90. So, like 1990. The the beginning of the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) It starts off pretty quickly, pretty weirdly. One day, there's a farmer that is walking outside on his field and he sees that his cows are all congregating at the edge of his farm on the fence and they're all sniffing something out. I mean, obviously, they usually do that around a dead animal or just something that's laying on the ground. He walks over and he finds a yellow plastic bag and determines that it is human parts. Hmm. Okay, so police get called out and they find a torso that is divided into two it is the top part of the torso and the bottom part
0: how did you know my brain was immediately trying to figure out which way they sliced belly button oh interesting yeah the belly button area so it was like horizontal or vertical
1: (laughs) horizontal it was a two parts of a torso in um one single yellow plastic bag and it's almost like a trash bag it means a trash bag for all intents and purposes of this trash bag. And so, of course, Racine County at this point had not seen anything like it, and it hits the news. There is body parts, or these body parts that have been found. At this point, the medical examiner had to determine first and foremost that these two parts, although it seemed at first glance that they were part of the same body, had to determine that, of course, they fit together and that they were the same body. So he determined that, that it was part of the same body. And from the epicenter of where they found the remains um, at this farmer's edge of his farm, they started a radius of three miles to do canvassing on, right? They started trying to go door-to-door, try to figure out who's missing, who saw what, what is going on in this area that they found in this part of the body, and so they did a three-mile radius, and they couldn't find any much of any information. Um, no one had seen anything. Seemingly, this bag just popped up out of nowhere. As one of the detectives is sitting in his cop car towards the edge of the three-mile radius because they've kind of finished canvassing everywhere he's writing down his reports he's writing down the notes in his car of who he's talked to what he found out you know what kind of conversations he had he's in uh, he's in his cop car middle of the day when down this county line road a dog starts approaching him
0: carrying something
1: an arm in his mouth
0: how did i know
1: yep so, this dog is walking towards him, carrying a dismembered arm. I cannot imagine seeing that. That would be traumatizing.
0: Yeah. Anyway. I don't know if I'd ever be able to look at Navy the same.
1: Oh, my God. Well, Navy. Navy. <laughs> carrying an don't arm. let him fool you. He <laughs> tries to
0: find the biggest stick that he can to carry around with him.
1: So, can you imagine, though, just sitting no. there, and there's a dog coming towards you, Um it would just be out of this world to have them holding a body. So because this was at the edge of the three mile radius, this now changed the epicenter of where they needed to canvas. Now they had two different locations. They didn't know if it was going to be related to the torsos that they had found a couple days earlier, but of course they sent that to the medical examiner and they found that yes, they were part of the same body. And so they changed the epicenter again of where they needed to canvas. Uh, detectives because of this new find they brought out cadaver dogs and they found other parts as well so another arm another uh, and the legs they found them all spread out on different fields with the exception of the arm that the dog was carrying everything else all the body parts were in yellow plastic bags so at this point they did not have a head yet and they couldn't identify anyone why is that always the last thing I don't know the remains that they did have, so the hands, the fingerprints on the hand, there was some remains um, or some particles that showed on the right hand, almost like charring, like someone tried to erase the fingerprints from the hand. So obviously there was a lot of thought put into, obviously a dismemberment is already something very personal and yeah. very close but that they were going as far as trying to erase the identity of the person is even another step beyond that. So at this point, they still didn't have the identity of the of the body that they had found in pieces. One of the arms that they did find had a Grateful Dead tour tattoo on their arm for the 1988 tour. So this was going to be like the one piece of information that if anyone was going to call in and say it's my brother, cousin, neighbor, et cetera, that's missing, they would have to identify that. Eventually, there was a dad and a kid walking down a road, and this is when they found the head in a drainage ditch, also in a yellow bag. I don't know how old the kid was, but I know for sure it was elementary school. I couldn't find their name anywhere. It doesn't matter. They're not involved. But I can't imagine being a parent with my kid walking. I don't know if the kid kicked it, poked it, whatever. But also at this point, the media and the whole town was aware that these body parts had been found in yellow plastic bags. Mm Mm-hmm. So from the day that they first found the tor- the, the torso into to when they found the head, it was a couple of weeks and there, so they were in different stages of decomposition just because they are in plastic bags and out in the elements. Eventually there was a parent that called in and identified that their son had been missing and were able to identify the son by their tattoo, Their son was James Michael Madden, who was only 24 years old. Hmm. So James Michael Madden, he had a job where he worked for the Citizens for a Better Environment. This is an environmental company that wanted to do better in their community, and part of their fundraising was that they went door-to-door, again, this is early 90s, selling magazine subscriptions because they would get part of the funds and this would help them fundraise. So on the very unfaithful day of June 27th, 1990, was the last time that anyone saw him alive. His girlfriend, Allie Winkler at the time, sweetest lady in the world, you'll have to, um, I'll show you the video of her, but... She remembers that on that morning, it was also one of her cat's birthdays. Oh. <laughs> I know. And one of the last things that he said to her was when he was, uh, before he left out to work that day, was that, hey, remember, I still have bogeys present with me. So that's one of the last things that she remembers him telling her before he went to work that day. So for work, in order to go canvassing to try and do this fundraising, they would all load up in a bus in Milwaukee. So they he lived in Milwaukee and most of the other employees did too. And they would all ride together to other parts of the state to try and get different communities, different areas to try and get different people to buy these magazines. On this day, on June 27th, they went to Racine and... They each had a path that they would follow, a different area that they would canvas to try and, and get these magazines sold. At the end of their workday, they would all meet back up at the bus and then get bused back to Milwaukee and go on their ways. So on June 27th, they got dropped off and James went on his route and he never showed up for the bus, back, bus ride back. So it's nineteen ninety. Um, There's no cell phone, so they couldn't call Mm -hmm. him and say, hey, bud, where are you at? You know, you're going to miss the bus ride. It wasn't terribly far from Milwaukee. It was about 30 minutes. So they figured either he got caught up with, you know, talking to someone, but either way, he missed the bus, so they left without him. On that day, because Allie, his girlfriend, was waiting for him, she, and she knew that he'd gone to Racine for work, she herself had been in communication with his parents, but she went out to Racine, drove around trying to see if he just was trying to walk back home, what was happening. She couldn't find him. She did that for three days straight. No word from him. So it wasn't until weeks later where they knew he had been missing and his dad had heard the news about body parts being found in Racine and he was able to identify him with the tattoo that it was, unfortunately, his son that had been dismembered. The detectives, now knowing that it was James Madden, contacted his employer to see what route he was given that day just so they can go and canvas the houses that he had potentially knocked on that day. Hmm. So he was pretty far along his route on what houses he would have knocked on. And they came on one of the houses and they said, yeah, I saw him at this and this time. Very nice guy. He tried selling me magazines. I I didn't buy any, but... I did see him. So they were able to place him on his route and every house on his route had been knocked on. Now they went to the next house, which belongs to Joachim or Joe Dressler. And they asked him if he remembers seeing a door to door salesman on June 27th. And he said, of course not. Um, He had been home all day, but he had not seen anyone knock on his door. He said that he was home alone that day. His wife and two kids were not there. And he lives on a 17-acre farm, so pretty long way to get into his driveway, pretty Mm -hmm. long way to get out, but nothing came of that then, okay? Okay. So at this point, the detectives are thinking, okay, we know what last house he knocked on, we know what next house he would have knocked on, but there's this small area in between where we don't know what happened, time in between where we don't know what happened. So they're still trying to figure out what's happening, the portion that collides with Dahmer's world, one of these coincidences, is that because it's 1990 and a lot of men are going missing in Milwaukee, oh. they chalk this up a little bit to, hmm, maybe it's a men, one of these men that's disappearing in Milwaukee. He is from Milwaukee, so who's to say he didn't walk home after this last house and is gone missing from Milwaukee? Got it. So... Word gets around, of course, the small town of Racine is a little shocked because they've never had anything like this happen. And someone calls in from Milwaukee and tells them that they have a friend who has a diorama in their house. So a diorama is a miniature of a house or mm-hmm. of a setting. So they have a diorama that, is, that has multiple rooms, And has essentially like Barbies and G.I. Joes and other dolls that are dismembered, full of blood. Every room in this diorama house is a murder scene. So they think, hey, if you found a dismembered body and this guy is drawing a diorama of it, you should at least look into it. The police look into it. They think it's odd as hell because who does that? Right. But they completely clear that person. I don't even know his name at this point. But although it was odd, they completely cleared him. It was an art project. (laughs) Oh. Weird one at that. Yeah. But it was an art project. They were back at square one. They didn't know exactly where to go with this. By this time that they're still trying to figure out leads on this, they figure out that Dr. Jensen was assigned as the medical examiner on the case. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Jensen determined a couple essential and crucial things. There was abrasions on his ankles, which would show that they were because of the hemorrhaging that they had, that those happened while the body was still alive, while the person was still alive. And because the way that the blood was pulled around them, it showed that the body was probably suspended.
0: Oh, I hate that. Okay.
1: I hate that. So that was one indication that's like, okay. We're already looking for something really ugly, right? But it gets even uglier. And then they find... You're looking for somebody that lives on a farm. Hmm. 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 (laughs) They find defensive wounds on his hands as if fending off a knife attack. And also find what seems like on purpose, very methodical cuts on the back on his back that are they kind of make little crosses not religious crosses but just crosses like exes okay. got it it's still odd because obviously that's not the method of dying it just seems like an uh, like a intentional intentional thing just out of cruelty or just pure malice but um so they they obviously think something else is going on here then they start getting all these reports or getting all these tips from people that are you know trying to chime in they're in the small town their word starts getting around they're like well have you looked into these you know this area of Racine where there's um, people going into the woods and they're having parties and they're satanic parties and maybe it's a ritualistic thing so the cops, of course, chase that lead down and they have a conversation with the people that are going out into these woods and that are having these parties and they don't hold anything back from the cops and they say, yes, we practice whatever we practice in the woods, but we're not performing any type of rituals. Right. We're really just going out there for an excuse to drink out in the woods. Right. We hang out, we party and, you know, we... Do whatever we do, but it's nothing like killing nothing. anyone. But, yeah. and they couldn't find any evidence, so that lead came up dead. So <sighs> these cops again are like, okay, so what do we do? They looked into the plastic bags a little bit more. They're yellow. They're not your regular black, gray yeah, bags I was or clear say that's pretty, bags. Like
0: specific,
1: very distinct. So what they found was that there was um, they had. A bag expert, which I didn't know you could be one. Um, Good job. <laughs> this is a job. Hi, what do you do for a living? Hi,
0: I'm a bag expert. I'm a bag expert. And in Wisconsin, that would be a bag
1: expert. <laughs> got bags for all you need. I got bags. Bags. What bags. You need? So Dr. Jensen was in his office one day and he had this bag expert come in and he said, Hey, I've been seeing this news report. Um, about these body parts being found in plastic bags. I'm a bag expert. I, he's a chemical engineer. He'd been manufacturing plastic garbage bags for 40 plus years. Bags doesn't even sound so, like a real word anymore. <laughs> um, and mm. Dr. Jensen said that he was a, a little bit skeptical because someone literally just walked off the street and said, hey, I'm an expert in this. Let me help you. And of mm-hmm. course, in any type of murder case, you're just like, hmm, why do you want to help? Do you just want to be involved with the case type of thing? Yeah. But this guy showed that um, with his expertise, he was able to give him information that this was obviously a very specific type of bag. He worked for Mobile Oil, and he was able to tell him, like, hey, you know, these are the components in the bag. And matter of fact, this bag is only manufactured in two different plants in Wisconsin. And because of the type of bag, the yellow bag, It's used for fundraising events. So the cops, Dr. Jensen gave this to the cops, et cetera. They found that one of the schools uh, that had recently used this as a fundraiser, which I don't know how do you sell trash bags as a fundraiser, but it's the 90s. I'm going to chalk it up to that. I have no idea. Um, Maybe it's a specific bag that you fill with something and you bring back and kind of like
0: the the green bags the green for bags the pop that cans. we have here.
1: yeah, exactly. soda cans for <laughs> if you don't know what pop means here. <laughs> but so I'm I'm assuming it's something like that. But there was a school in North Milwaukee that had recently sold those and there was a teacher at the school who was related to Mrs. Dressler, Joachim's wife. Oh oh God. She had sold a pack of bags to Mrs. Dressler as part of the fundraiser, so Mm. they were able to determine that at some point, somehow, some way, Mrs. Dressler had brought those types of bags into the home, those very specific yellow type bags. And because the. You think if you take as much care to burn fingerprints off, you wouldn't use such a. The brightest, boldest, standout ish type of bag you can. Such an anomaly. Yeah. Yeah. That, along with the cops going back into canvassing the area of the last homes that they knew James had had contact with, the neighbor now told them that Joaquim, Joe, had confessed to him that he had accidentally shot James Madden, panicked, and dismembered his body. He also told them that he had showed up to his house from the door-to-door selling, and that they got to talking, and that they had an interest in guns, a shared interest in guns, so that um, Joaquin went and got his guns while he was outside, and as he was coming out with a gun, he accidentally shot James in the head. So he panicked.
0: Okay, this is farm country, Wisconsin. Yeah. Everyone has an interest
1: in guns. You don't know how to use your guns, so he said that he panicked, and I don't. He doesn't explain this to the neighbor, but he tells the neighbor, "I cut his brain out and I put it down the garbage disposal." Oh, oh. okay. But the cops now have enough to get, an, uh, to get a, at least a warrant on the house. They would think so. So they get a warrant on the house, and they find some very interesting things. The house is a little bit of a disarray, whatever, your farm country, people, whatever. He has a basement that is kind of his man cave type thing. They find loads and loads and loads of homosexual pornography, Interesting. Interesting. They also find on top of that, whatever you can have porn. It's the nineties; like internet's not the big thing yet. But oh, it's like magazine porn. Magazine porn. Why did my brain not register that? No, they also have like VHSs. So they have movies, and they also, but on top of only, but on top of having like porn movies, he has snuff films. Oh. And he has torture films. I was going to say, so it gets dark. So it gets really dark. It got dark really quick. And then as the cops are still walking through the house, they go into the garage and they see that there is a hoist in the garage roof. He tells the cops that it's to lift motors out of engines because he works on cars every now and then. Oh, see, when you said that he was like, Hoisted up, I guess.
0: Uh-huh. I'm suspended. I'm a, yes, thank you. Suspended. I was thinking, oh, a slaughter type thing, like with a, with animals. I wasn't thinking like a car motor. That's why yeah. I was like, oh, farm.
1: Yep, yeah, exactly. Still a farm. Still yeah. a farm. So he has a hoist in the middle of the garage, and he tells the cops it's for the for lifting motors out of cars, which is believable. Um, but I'm now that true. we know that the body potentially was suspended, there, that is a possibility very high probability that it happened in this garage now there is also this is weird and i don't understand it and if someone can make sense of it please help me out joe had a tanning booth in his basement and if you walk it was like a stand-up type type mm-hmm. one and as you walked into it turned around and up above the door in a sharpie it had J. Madden. So the name of the victim. That's weird. That's really weird unless it was like his way of remembering or unless he used the privacy of the tanning booth for other purposes and wanted to see the name. That's odd. Okay, so, right, I couldn't make sense of I it, used, but...
0: I've used those types of tanning beds, and I can't think of a reason that that makes sense.
1: Unless he just wanted the privacy of being inside of something. It's just weird that he would write his name on there. But like, why the <laughs> name? Be more blunt. Like, I don't know. It's just weird. It is super weird. So that didn't make sense to me. But nonetheless, having the name of the victim written down somewhere in your home not a good is idea. gonna make you look sketch as hell. Yeah. Okay. It so almost makes you look guilty. Almost. Before they put him in handcuffs and take him away, obviously there's a whole team of people here executing the search warrant. Mm-hmm. One of his kids is outside. They, he's flying a kite with a yellow tail on it. Oh no! So they take that kite into evidence.
0: Yeah. And of course, where'd you get the yellow? Where'd you get the yellow?
1: So obviously, they were able to compare the bags to the yellow tail on the kite, and they confirmed that it was the same type of bags. Um, They did not find any more bags in the house itself, but. He obviously used it for something else. So. I was gonna say, so. yeah, they'd
0: probably been used. You can't imagine they're selling that in a, like a hundred pack or something.
1: <laughs> Costco size yellow bags. For literally all your was needs. like, Costco.
0: <laughs> I need to go pick some up
1: today. So, a little bit about Joaquim, Jacques a little bit more about him. He was an elevator repairman. I don't know if that was for a specific company or if he was an independent contractor. But one of the things they found, because they started digging more into him, of course, the detectives want more than the circumstantial type evidence, Mm -hmm. they found that in every elevator repair room that he was assigned to or that he would normally service, he kept uh, an exuberant amount of alcohol bottles, vodka specifically. And after talking to him, they confirm that he drank one or two vodka bottles a day so he was very much so an alcoholic because of his history and being able to butcher an animal they determined that that's probably how he was able to do not surgical precision type dismemberment but still a very clean cut type of thing Mm -hmm. it wasn't it wasn't a hack job it wasn't a hack job it was done with some type of knowledge on how to disconnect body parts so there's that He, he he was an alcoholic he he drank a lot um, that will come into play a little bit later. The neighbor also told the cops that the whole time that he's been neighbors with him, he's, he believes that Dressler is the one who has killed five dogs of his um, that have just disappeared in the last 10 years. Mm. And that also not only the next door neighbor, but other neighbors in the area say that they always saw him running around his own yard, Albeit naked and jumping from tree to tree, so can you imagine looking out and seeing
0: your neighbor just running around like
1: Tarzan just (laughs) jumping around tree to tree?
0: No, I cannot.
1: (laughs) Right. Um, So with all that information, although it seems well, it's not circumstantial for everything because he is admitting to some extent that he had contact with him and that he panicked, and he did all this, but he is asserting that it was accidental. So all in all, the medical examiner determined that James Michael Madden was found without a heart, without a liver, no kidneys, his adrenal gland had been taken out, and of course his brain. And these were not skeletal remains that were found. Right. So all these body parts and organs Were were removed. Other than the brain, which he told a neighbor was put into a garbage disposal, we don't know what happened to the rest of his body parts. Oh. I don't want to think he domered it, but, I mean, he could have. That's just me assuming. I don't think he did. One can assume a couple different things either happened. He either disposed of them. Let's hope. Let's hope that's what happened. So his his wife said... Throughout this entire ordeal of him getting arrested and and him getting charged and going to trial, she stuck by his side completely. Like, my husband would never do this. She had no idea about the pornography. She never, like,
0: meandered down there? Well,
1: no, here's the thing. She knew about the regular porn. She did not know about the snuff films, and she did not know about, you know, these torture-type films and Mm -hmm. just other... Other types of materials that he had on either how to dismember because he had like how to dismember animals and all these things like, you know, Mm. not taxidermy. I can't think of the word, but she know that her husband had like homosexual tendencies. No, she did not know about the homosexual pornography either. She had no idea about that, but she said that they had such an extensive pornography collection and i think this is odd and i could not find of course that any neighbors came forward and confirmed this but she said sometimes they would have viewing parties with their neighbors and that neighbors would come over and borrow from their vhs library oh okay yeah all right. So, so. <laughs> so she's standing behind her husband saying that he's a loving, working, hardworking husband and, you know, great father and very loving to their kids. It's a boy and a girl. I know their names, but I'm not going to put them out there because they're probably, yeah. you know, they're adults now. She's she's saying, nope, that's not him. It, You know, it was an accident. He didn't mean to do this. Um, he would never do this. He's not going to do this again. They put up their house as part of collateral for a defense, and I believe the defense's retainer was $50,000, and they appraised the house, and they thought they could get that. They had a three-week trial. Mm -hmm. On the second week of their trial is when Dahmer got arrested. Oh, interesting. Right. So the defense... My goodness, they were like, nope, see, it wasn't him. Because they were asserting complete innocence. They already said that you shot him. I know, I know. But they're like, nope, they took that back. They're like, Oh my gosh, they lost their minds then. And they said, nope, see, it was Dahmer. It had to have been Dahmer. And Dr. Jensen, the medical examiner that was assigned to this case for Dressler, was assigned to the Dahmer case as well. And no, he is the one that completely was able to separate the two. Okay, because he was like, these are not the same. They are not the same. Because the precision that Dahmer had was unequivocally completely different to what Dressler was doing. Oh, good. Okay. Um, and not only that, but the M.O. was man, certain, he was know, like, right? my job sucks the last couple of months. So, the... He was able to completely keep them separate and say, no, these are Dahmer's victims. This is a different victim, different M.O. Um, Plus, Dahmer never went and dumped body parts everywhere. He kept them in his apartment. Right. So just completely different M.O. And it wasn't too far fetched. It's only 30 minutes away. So it's not a terrible drive into the country type area that is racing. But he was able to... That's not how he picked people up, though. Exactly. Yeah. What the prosecution was saying, their theory on what happened, is that James walked to his store that day trying to sell the magazines. And either we don't... You know, obviously it's all assumption of whether they started talking, if it was mutual conversation about guns or cars, etc. And because of his interest... In homosexual activity, Joachim either invited or made a move on James and it was either unwelcome or there was a struggle of some type or either mm-hmm. maybe James went down there and consensually did something. But something went awry, obviously. Yeah. And James was eventually suspended and dismembered. Oh, I failed to mention he was also demasculated. Oh, God, hate that. And that was postmortem. Okay. So there was no hemorrhaging, which shows that, you know, there's yeah. no blood flow there. So that happened also post-mortem. Oh, and then after that, Joe just drove around after putting the body parts in bags and dumped them all around the the town. No rhyme or reason where and how. Not saying, like, how to get away with murder, but if you own 17 acres... What are you doing, Joe? Yeah. What are you doing?
0: Why are all around town and Why all yellow around bags? town? Right.
1: After the three week trial, after the prosecution was able to assert, like, hey, Dahmer is completely different and this is his case, it took the jury all of two hours of deliberation to prove that he was guilty of murder. And they sentenced him to life. Um, so he's still in jail. And it's really interesting. When I was researching for this, he has been nonstop trying to appeal. Every appeal is public record. The entire, all the dockets. Mm. Um, very interesting reads. One of my, I guess, favorite appeals, because I learned information on this, um, or just new information in general was that because the search warrant that the detectives were given was not carte blanche, meaning that they can go in and literally take everything and anything that they want or need or Mm -hmm. anything in your house, it was very specific to murder-related items, Mm -hmm. anything that they think would have been... In used in the action of the murder. Yeah. So they of course took items like a knife and his gun that they think shot um, James, because they did confirm that eventually what did kill James was a shot to the head. Okay. They did find bullet fragments in his skull. His skull was in different pieces, so that's how they believe the brain was taken out. Mm-hmm. So they did take a gun. They took a couple of knives because obviously there's cuts on him. They took the kite from the kid. Those are the items that would directly be linked to how the murder was taken. Mm -hmm. Right? What they also took, and I guess this is part of any warrant, is what can be categorized as other acts evidence. Mm -hmm. So anything else, if someone is walking through your house with a search warrant, and let's say they have a search warrant just for my computer, you know, then that's all they can take. But if next to my computer, I have something that can be very easily linked to that, the use of the computer or something like that, it could be taken in as other acts evidence. still related. I think I can link it, but it's not specifically listed on the search warrant. What was taken in as other acts was the pornography. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: All of the films, all of the magazines, all of the, you know, all of the materials that he had. Now, the appeal that he filed for was saying, my defense should not have allowed for all those materials to be allowed into evidence. Those have nothing to do with the murder, Those made the jury have a prejudice against me. Those are protected by First Amendment. They are all things that could have been found in video stores. So it's nothing that the regular public didn't have access to. Disagree. So. Mm -hmm. Snuff movies (laughs)
0: are not in a regular store. Well,
1: they were, they were though. They proved even down to the titles he was oh. showing the court that these were all things that yeah i mean i don't think anyone actually died in the movies maybe it's showing like torture in the movies because they're all they were all available for sale to the public so know. that was part of his appeal that mm-hmm. this all this evidence should not have been taken into account because it made the jury look at him in a different light when it was not direct evidence to the crime that he was being accused of. The court did not allow it, of course. Mm -hmm. And then another thing, another appeal that he has on file is that he does not believe his defense brought up enough the fact that he suffered from what's called confabulation. It was a new word to me. Yeah. So confabulation is when someone suffers from alcoholism and when they have the, you know, blackouts or they don't recall or don't have a memory of a certain time frame, they have this very active imagination where they just make up things to try and make sense of the time period that they don't remember. So that is what he is saying happened to him when... He was talking to his neighbor about this about supposed accident. Right. So he's saying, I have a very clear history with alcoholism. I've confessed to, you know, drinking one or two bottles of vodka every day. And at the time that this happened, I guess he was an unemployed elevator Uh, repairman Mm -hmm. so he had been drinking excessively and that on that night because of the bits and pieces of conversations that he's had with the detectives and with the bits and pieces of information that's in the news and because he was drunk he went and had this elaborate story that he gave to his neighbor and he feels that he should be able to appeal on the account that he suffers from actual confabulation the court. the court dismissed that as well.
0: I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, he's filed at least every couple of years since 1990 appeals and they have never let him, it's never gone through more than him appealing it. Mm-hmm. It's never been granted for anything else. So he's still serving.
0: I wonder if they even read him at this point. They're just like, they're no. just like, Nope. Next. No. Oh,
1: it's Joe Dressler again. <laughs> next.
0: Not <that> guy again. <laughs> lunch?
1: When's lunch? So right after the sentencing came down and he was convicted of murder, his wife filed for divorce. At that point, after she's like, all right, cool, you've been sentenced for murder. I don't want to be with you anymore. Mm -hmm. The court, if hopefully you've never been through or have to go through it, but divorce court can take months, years before everything's divvied up, mm-hmm. um, the court took a, took all of an hour to say, yeah, I'm granting your divorce. And he... There's no divvying anything no. up. So. Well, he... Because he was a union worker, he did have a pension that was going to be coming to him. Mm. So he um, put into judgment that whenever his pension becomes available, that's going to go to the kids. She got the house... But the house was already promised as the collateral. payment, the collateral. So the house only sold for thirty thousand um, dollars. And why would you want it? Exactly because it had been appraised at fifty thousand. Yeah. But it, once it sold, after I'm sure everyone knew about this house and this farm seventeen tends acres. To lose
0: value. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know they had this debt now with the attorney, and there's also the attorney. I can you can see all the paperwork that they filed to get compensation from the state for the amount that they were missing. It's just really interesting that all the documents are out there for everyone to see. So the wife and and the kids don't maintain contact I wouldn't imagine. with him. So he he thinks he's um. So he's still trying to to do appeals so every couple of years he pops up with the, trying to file for an appeal but has never gone through <sighs> so that is, this is what you were
0: Kara told me the other night that you were reading um she was watching uh world's toughest prison she goes don't mind me just watching world's toughest prisons while my wife is in the bath reading a murder trial docket <laughs> this must have been what you were reading about <laughs> It was like, why are you watching World's Toughest Prisons? That's so unlike you. That
1: unlike like her.
0: She said it was because you paused it to go take a bath, so she decided to watch it while you were in there.
1: <laughs> but yes, that was my relaxing time. Apparently, the, the prisons
0: got crazy. She was
1: like, 40 inmates, one
0: guard. And I was like, what could go wrong?
1: <laughs> oh, um, I forgot to mention this, but the wife, she was cleared of any wrongdoing as far as the murder goes, mm-hmm. but she might have been subjected to inadvertently cleaning some of the murder scene oh. because he has a skin, a chronic skin condition. I don't know the name of it. I'm sorry. I, I, I could have Googled it, but, um, where he doesn't clot well. So if he cuts himself while he's working, it like if he cuts his finger it yeah. bleeds a lot, cause it doesn't like clot right away. Yeah. Um, so she's aware of him having this condition and during this June July period he called her down into the basement and said he had tripped and cut his foot and indeed he had some blood on blood on his foot but it there was blood all over like on the landing of the stairs oh, and God. so she helped him clean all that up so and it uh, probably
0: wasn't his
1: it probably wasn't his yeah. so I'd be so upset. And be like, let's go clean up your cut first. I want to see your cup. Make sure you're okay. Make sure there's a cut before you help your husband clean up that the That whole... actually would be
0: my priority, right. though. You like, make naturally, sure. I'd be like, let's not have you bleed all over the house first, mm-hmm. so I'm not having to clean up more.
1: But she said, because this happened regularly, she didn't think much of it, and then right after that, she said she was just in a cleaning mood, so she went and, like, deep cleaned the house, too, which the cops were like, hmm... Did you really not know? Right. Or were you... So... Odd. Really odd things. But um, another fun fact where these two worlds collided from Dressler and Dahmer, he was assigned to be the elevator repairman at Ambrosia Chocolates where Dahmer worked. So it's very possible that maybe someday they actually physically crossed paths oh it's a small world small world plus it's wisconsin wisconsin yeah, i is wonder crazy.
0: because the crimes of dahmer didn't come out until he was actually arrested mm-hmm. so it's not like they drew inspo from each other nope.
1: that's just bizarre nope and they were both uh interested in men yeah and there was another man that they did talk to. His name was Keith Erickson. He told the detectives, and, and this is one of the stories that the detectives tell, that obviously this guy was frightened out of his mind because now he realizes how lucky he is Yeah. because he said that um, he himself, Keith, had gone over to Joe's house in looking to buy some guns so mm-hmm. they got to talking about their interest in guns Da da they did engage in consensual sex but joe showed him like the hoist and be like oh yeah i'd love to hang you up there sometime nope so now nope. keith erickson looks back on that and he's like oh shit did i dodge a bullet yeah that could have been me literally
0: yeah dodged a bullet literally not today satan
1: yeah <laughs> So that's the story of James Michael Madden <sighs> knocking on the wrong door. Talk Wisconsin. about Stranger Danger.
0: Relax. Only one serial killer I at know. a time. Good God.
1: Oh, there was two or three at the time. Obviously, like you said, Dahmer was not one that they actively knew about until it was yeah. discovered. But they all had a very different way of... Dismembering, or they all had different styles, I guess. So,
0: our chairs are so squeaky. They're today. so squeaky. Yeah. Sorry,
1: guys. Um, okay, I think that's it we've got for the case. So, thank you. If you like yeah. that one. So, in today's What the Florida,
0: we have a <laughs> oh, Florida headline. Thousands of gun owners in Florida plan to shoot down Hurricane Irma. <laughs> at least 24,000 Facebook users said they were planning on shooting out or shooting at Hurricane Irma on Sunday as authorities in Florida have evacuated close to 6.3 million people so far. At the center of the social media storm is 22-year-old Florida resident Ryan Edwards, who created the Facebook event page last Saturday <laughs> when Hurricane Irma was still making its approach from the Atlantic Ocean.
1: What do you shoot at it? Guns. No, I know, but like shotguns? Or yeah, like... literally
0: the picture, it says the Facebook event is shoot at Hurricane Irma. It's a guy holding a shotgun. And <laughs> it's on September 10th at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Um, and the weather is supposed to be 25 degrees with some thunderstorms. <laughs> okay. It said that all these people were planning at that time of going outside with their shotguns and shooting at it. Good job, Florida. That Good that
1: job, should Florida. stop it. That yeah, should stop it. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, They're like, what could make this worse? I know. <laughs> Let's just shoot up in the air. Shoot randomly. God. Hopefully you're all standing in a line instead of like a circle too. That would be disastrous. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And shoot downwind, I guess. I don't know what else what other advice I can give I have you. No idea. <laughs> So I want to uh, take a second and thank Tina. She was she's on the Murder Lovers group. She recommended the movie Aftermath on Netflix, mm-hmm. and we had a girls' night last night, and that is what we watched. Was it um, good? Yeah.
0: What is it about?
1: Um, it's about a couple that yeah. moves into a new house that has a sordid history. It's it's really suspenseful and scary, but. I guess I don't want to give it all away, but, um, it, it's, I hate jump scares. Yeah. But I love jump scares.
0: (laughs) Is it scary or is it suspenseful? Both. Oh, I don't like scary. Both. It's both. Is it like creatures?
1: Kind of.
0: I don't know if that's for me then. Kind of. I might just need to leave that one to you.
1: for me. yeah Yeah. that's not for me so thanks tina thanks for recommending that and then i don't know if you guys have seen this but um there is i think this is also netflix i watched it just on a limb because the name really stood out to me it's called american vandal so if you're ever in the mood of not watching actual true crime this is a good alternative it's called funny yes it's what is it? It's American Vandal. On what? I think it's Netflix. Okay. The I mean, by the name of it alone, I was like, sweet, I'm in for a series of like awesome, well researched true crime. Nope. And what I found out, and I couldn't stop watching it, it's that it's satirical true crime. Uh and it was hilarious. It is so funny it's I think the first um they're short that's weird series. it says I've already
0: started it at some point
1: you probably started it and you're like what the I probably hell is started this? it thinking that mm-hmm. it was gonna be actual true crime that's what I did too and then I when I was like oh I'm gonna let it play in the background then I was like wait are they making fun of true crime and she's sure how they were because the first season is about a penis graffiti artist <laughs> And they're trying to figure out who it is at the school. Um, mm. So it's it's just so funny. They pretend to do like a whole investigation. And so if you need something kind of like a palate cleanser of actual true crime. I shall watch that. But you still want to be intrigued about like figuring out what's happening. I totally recommend this. American Vandal. Is it Netflix? Yes. Yeah, it's Netflix. And then I've been meaning to watch, I don't know if it's out yet, the new Selena Gomez um, show. I do not know. Show program. It's like the the murders in the apartments or something like that. Mm. Hold on, let me see.
0: There's a lot of good things that are coming to Netflix Mm -hmm. here in the next month. I might have to actually break out of my routine of watching the same thing over and over and over
1: again. (laughs) Only murders in the building. What is that on? Uh, let me see. Hulu. It's with Steve Martin and John Hoffman. That has to be a comedy. So it starts. Oh, yeah. I think it's also the same thing. That's like a, sat, a satire type true crime type of thing. So it's yep, August comedians. 31st is when it premieres. So this episode will be out by the time that um it'll be out. So <gasps> I'll have to totally check it out. Martin shorts in it. Oh,
0: oh, oh I'm sold. I'm sold. I love him.
1: Is it yes. Martin Short? Oh, he is. That's right. It's Steve Martin and Martin Short. Ah, so. I love him. Yeah. Father of the Bride is their like, all-time favorite. Okay.
0: So yeah,
1: that's it. That's my recommendations. I shall watch that. Um. I think that's all we've got. Hold
0: on, let me squeak I'll one squeak more time. Let's squeak one more time. Good measure. <laughs>
1: squeaky. What is it? Squeaky cheese gets the wheel? or The Squeaking Squeaky, squeaky wheel gets the oil. Squeaky. What?
0: Yeah. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. Because if you squeak it, you have to oil it.
1: Squeaky mask it's the cheese. Which one is it, guys? Those are weird. Okay.
0: <laughs> you and your Arizona ways.
1: <laughs> All right. If you haven't done so already, please go check us out on Patreon.com. And that is Patreon forward slash Stranger Danger Podcast. And check us out on TikTok. We're trying to keep up with the, the kids these days. So. We're doing our best. <laughs> um... All right. And as always, if you have any stories of true crime encounters or if you have any fun stories from your hometown that you'd like us to look into more, please send those into our email, which is a stranger danger podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Okay. Bye bye now. Bye.